0: Isn't it awkward talking about death? We're all going to die in the end, yet somehow death is still seen as one of society's taboos. Dead Good brings the conversation to the forefront by asking those questions you want to know but might have been too afraid to ask. I'm Sajila Kershi, and in this podcast series, I'll be speaking to some of my favourite people from comedians, actors and beyond, About their experiences of death, and in doing so, challenge the taboos that exist within society. Our guest on today's episode is Suda Butcher. Suda is a fantastic actress, writer, and the founder of Butcher Boulevard Theatre Company. We talk at length about the deaths of Suda's mother, father, and her brother. We discuss a range of issues from growing up in different countries and navigating death in an interfaith relationship, South Asian cultural norms, the feeling of numbness and the complicated relationship she has with expressing her grief, and of course, the writing of golden hearts. It's a really poignant conversation, and I found it really interesting how Suda and her family navigate death through the prism of faith and culture. Hello, how are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. Yes, it's sunny in Wimbledon, so it's great to be here. Thank you.
0: Please do tell us about your upbringing and beliefs growing up and if faith played a part in how
1: you view death. My upbringing was sort of in three continents. You know, I was born in Tanga, Tanzania, but my dad was a teacher, Punjabi. So every three years we used to go back to India for like a visit come back to Africa there were times when my parents felt like we should move to India so there was all this kind of toing and fro the good thing about that was that I was exposed to you know in Africa you know we had Muslim neighbors we went to the Gurdwara as well as the Hindu my parents are Arya samaji which is a sort of sect that doesn't worship statues and you know so I had a lot of multi-faith kind of influences without any my parents were not like practicing Hindus you know but my father was very interested in the whole philosophy side of it so I think it was just a very eclectic but very inclusive upbringing as regards to faith I don't remember being you know feeling that there was any one way of accepting or not accepting death
0: so with all these faiths um, I guess you got to experience death from different perspectives from different faiths and how each community dealt with those deaths do you remember much about the Hindu like rituals and how those deaths were dealt with?
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you know, like um, when we were in East Africa, we were the only family there. So we didn't have like a big kind of extended family, you know. So in terms of deaths in our personal um, circle, we were sort of slightly removed from people and but we would get news from india that you know like i didn't really know my grandparents you, that news would come in letters so really the first kind of bereavement that i experienced which was very close was my father's and that did happen very you know i was only 15 and in fact i you know i found him um so you know my father's death was marked in, a, in with a hindu ceremony because essentially we are from that heritage. So that is, you know, it's a cremation. And then, you know, the ashes are taken to a place where, you know, obviously the holiest of Hindus would want their ashes taken to the river Ganges in India. But, you know, here very much so, you know, most people do, they have, you know, places in the Thames where you take the thing. I don't remember going to the ceremony where my father's ashes were released but i do you know i've been to several obviously since then so the hindu rituals are very much about you know reincarnation when you're cremated then your ashes are put into you know flowing water which goes into the ocean as far as i understand it is the idea of you know the individual soul released and i mean i'm not cleric so you know i don't know if i'm quoting this properly
0: i mean i've always been intrigued by the ganges you know that You know, why is that such a sacred place? Do you know,
1: I should have uh, looked it up, but I I guess it is. We should have both looked it up. (laughs) We should have both looked it up. But, you know, the idea, I mean, I did a programme about the Ganges, a BBC three-part programme which I narrated, you know, and it was this wonderful thing of from the source in the mountains to the, you know, where it ends Mm. up. It goes right through India. There is a sense of kind of worshipping, you know, the goddess of the river Ganges, Ganga, you know, is very much there in mythology. But I wouldn't be able to say as to why it's significant, you know, in terms of at the time of death, you know, people do like to go back to. I mean, what's quite nice is that often people do make these huge pilgrimages of taking ashes back, even second, third generation, you know, if if that was their parents' wish. And it becomes quite a big sort of moment, isn't it, for people to reconnect with. The homeland of where their parents came from,
0: you know absolutely. and I know that your husband is Muslim, so I think you'll get this. It's like it will be cheaper to have a Hindu you know ritual of taking the ashes, which doesn't use up another seat. You can put it in your hand luggage, as opposed to the Muslim one, which is like you know, it's quite traumatic. Like you have to put it in a in a coffin, and you have to get the coffin transferred.
1: There's probably less, isn't it? There are less people who take coffins back, or maybe that's wrong with
0: me to assume. Oh no, they they I mean, I I know that my family members they would, and I just think it was such a massive, huge, you know, undertaking to take the body back it's just especially since you know Muslims our whole thing is like bury them quickly as possible yes well well, that's the same with us yeah but then if that's their wishes they want to be buried in their mother soil as it were
1: well I think it's a lot of link to loss of homeland and if people have really felt not at home in another land it becomes a big thing doesn't it that children want to honor
0: I get that and if my mother wanted that that's exactly what we we would do for her
1: you try to do it yeah exactly
0: Now, uh, obviously, I know that you've had several bereavements.
1: Well, in terms of my immediate family, you know, my immediate family was um, my father died um, very young. You know, he was a week before his 50th birthday. As I said, I found him and I still don't feel as though we've necessarily processed. You know, when you have that bereavement as a child or teenager, it's very different, isn't it? You know, with my parents they'd had a lot of separations in terms of like a lot of families did in those days where my father was working in Africa, we'd be in India, then he was working there and we, we were in England. So that sense of separation became totally permanent, you know, at a quite a young age. And then my younger brother passed away. And this was to do I think we were talking about, you know, Asian men and their hearts. So in my father's family there was a history of, you know, bad hearts and men just dropping and so my younger brother was only 43 and that was also a very sudden death um, which was very very traumatic and then i lost my mother in 2013 and she was 76. so we i now have my younger brother and my sister we do feel like yeah we were orphaned you know quite young as it were
0: you mentioned um that you found your father you know this is back in 1978 can you talk about how that happened
1: my father had had a history of sort of ill health you know he he was also an alcoholic which complicated other health problems but at this particular time you know we could see that his heart i can't remember if he'd already had a heart attack before but he you know he obviously just had a cardiac arrest heart attack and he went to the loo and i actually remember in the front room the film that people were watching, I was probably watching, was actually called Kismet, you know, Fate. I didn't notice that he'd gone to the loo. And then when I went, because he didn't, hadn't returned, you know, he was slumped there and I ran downstairs and there were neighbors there and we took him to the hospital, but it was too late. But what I do remember is a feeling of sort of numbness, you know, like people often depict these deaths where people are in floods of tears hysterical it wasn't like that for me for either that or for when my brother passed away what I struggle with is tears and big displays of grief so those were in my family but also in the time that I've been married which is 32 years I've also you know we've been through the loss of my husband's parents and three of his siblings so we've had quite a lot really and so my children have experienced all that as well so the feeling of numbness that you talk about that is quite a common thing
0: because i think we're sold on this idea especially when you're a south asian culture like we are we're brought up with hollywood and bollywood you know so the kind of like dramatization of of what grief looks like and it's all uh, in bollywood is you know it's all very dramatic and it's in hollywood it's like there's a certain way to grieve and be and so it's really interesting to me that you say you just went numb because I remember my sister being the same way when my father passed she didn't react at all
1: well and I think people do people are drawn to people there's a sort of assumption that you're suffering more if you're if you can't stop crying and you know you're in pieces the lack of tears in my personal life often sort of subliminally gets translated into the work that I mm. do you know because people will say oh your work it sort of touches the heart and in fact now I've decided to kind of embrace that, you know, the idea of making people laugh and cry at the same time, you know, not being scared to look at issues of bereavement and death in my work. So I've done, you know, I've actually written about, you know, the loss of my brother, the Asian men in their hearts in a project called Golden Hearts, which I did in a hospital in St George's. I've done a project called Final Farewell with Tara Theatre last year, which was about, people sharing their stories of grief. You know, I work through verbatim. And mm. I guess there is something about me that I am someone who absorbs other people's stories on floss as well, you know, maybe in some way.
0: Is it that you're by telling other people's story, you kind of like work through your own um, grief? Because I always find I do that with my work. It's like it's easier to almost fix someone else's stuff.
1: I don't think one does that consciously. But I think the fact that I've had so much Loss means I'm comfortable in that. Like I do think about death a lot, you know, and sometimes I think it's a bit melancholic, but then I just sort of think, well, this is the way I am, you know. It doesn't mean that you are you can't laugh about it or, you know, like we, you know we all have these quite comic moments as well, don't we, when at funerals and, I mean, my mother's funeral was actually a disaster, you know, <laughs> like the worst funeral that people have been to in terms of practical arrangements. Can you share that, please? Well, we used a sort of Asian bereavement people, you know. We were struggling with, you know, we knew, you know, my sister's more of a believer than me. You know, we wanted to do things the Hindu way that my mother would have wanted, even though she railed against religious hypocrites and stuff all her life, you know. So we decided to use these culturally specific people. And it turned out to be an absolute disaster, right from... Like when the night before you want to go and see her, the coffin hasn't arrived. You know, we are seeing our mother on a slab there for the first time. The phone rings, you know, in the middle of us looking at my mom, and, you know, it's the woman's daughter saying, When are you coming home? And she's like, Oh, just order a pizza, you know, I'll be home soon, sort of thing. And we had to laugh, you know. And the actual day, like everything, you know, the hearse didn't arrive, we lost our slot. And right at the last minute, my mother had a pacemaker. And they were like, we haven't got the paperwork. We might not be able to cremate her. And it was just a disaster. But we laugh about it now. And my mother would have laughed about it. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like those
0: moments, the humorous moments, the dark moments, it undercuts that deep pain, I guess.
1: Yeah, and it's important. Yeah,
0: Yeah, it is important. I know that you said when your brother died and you used the word that you literally were floored by his death. Is that because it was more shocking that you would lose your brother? Obviously in your parents, you kind of, even it's a shock, but you expect them to go before us. But with your brother, um, which is back in 2009, have I got that right?
1: 2009. Yeah. And I, you know, he was only 43. Um, and yeah, it was literally one of those phone calls in the middle of the night, you know, my other brother. My brother's wife wa- and his wife were going out for dinner. And in fact, I was looking after their little girl. I was in my bed with Jaya, my niece on my arm and my little son, my other son, younger son. You know, we were sleeping together because we were babysitting her. And the phone call came in the middle of the night from my other brother, Vijay. And like he just said it straight as well, you know, like Ajay's died, you know, we'd gone out for dinner. And just dropped, you know. Um, so it was very, very, very shocking and difficult, and remains so. You know, the first words his daughter spoke the next morning was, you know, where's daddy. And actually, I remember this, because we had promised the children both, you know, my older son was 12, I think, and my younger son was, you know, eight. And Jaya was four, nearly five, my niece. And I had promised them pancakes. So I actually woke up having heard this news. My brother's wife came in the middle of the night. She'd stayed in the front room. We were all just numb and shocked, you know, stayed up all night. But I made pancakes for the kids and they had their pancakes. We didn't tell them yet because we then had to go and tell my mother that her son had died. you know? So this thing of where were the tears? You know, there were no tears yet. <laughs> you know, I, I probably haven't cried for my brother at all.
0: Was it because you were protecting the children at that moment as well and having to be strong for them?
1: Yeah, I think we had to. But I also think it's, I think for me, it's definitely a thing, you know. And I think we talked about it. Like, you listen to these Bollywood musical, music that reminds you of people or moments and you'll find your eyes welling up, but, you wish you could summon them up when you need them and they don't come you know i sort of just accept that about myself i don't feel like i've got a lump inside me that is torturing me you know what i mean yes at times i do feel like it would be a release to be able to cry like i see other people do and i i envy them you know i do actually envy people whose emotions are released when they're needed to be you know but maybe there is the fact that people do see my work and they'll go oh it made me think about this and thank you for sharing this because it's helped me to this you know i think
0: as creatives we write what we know and if even if we don't necessarily know how that grief should have been or shouldn't have been we you know you've, you we put it into your work which is you know that's what you do i've written shows about my Grief around my dad, and you know, obviously, you've 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 clearly done it with your work.
1: I mean, the legacy of my brother's death is very, very big because also, I haven't seen my niece because my brother's wife, you know, which actually I then realise is quite a thing. You know, like two years after he died, she just cut us off. You know, the cruelty of it was that she also cut off our niece from us. You know, and then we found out that a year ago she has died so my niece is now 18 she's an orphan and she hasn't seen us for over a decade you know we are trying to find her and communicate with her but it's not been possible you don't know where she is not exactly no we are trying to find her yeah via this podcast
0: if you, you know, if she was ever listening to this podcast what would you say to her
1: I would say that Jaya, you know, your, your family love you. And, you know, we just want you to know that we are here whenever we just love you. I would say that to her, yeah. So I think, again, I think the legacy of early deaths can be quite catastrophic in families. You know, For me, that's an important message just in case people have experiences like that. And it's
0: interesting that you said that it's quite a thing,
1: I don't know about you. You get drawn to stories, don't you? Yeah. And then I started looking at like soldiers, and you know when people die in action. Yeah. And as was happening when people were going to Afghanistan and stuff, Hmm. there became a sort of battle between the mothers and the the wives as to who had suffered more. You know, (laughs) and you think,
0: why does that happen? You know. But isn't that the legacy of our culture anyway? The mother-in-law and the you know, and the wife, like who loves the son more, and who then, obviously, it in, is inevitable in death, who love, you know, whose pain is greater?
1: There are also kind of tropes, aren't they? Because I also realise that in in English culture, actually, the love of siblings is seen to be lesser than the love of a partner. You know, it's strange because I've always thought I can always get another husband, I can always get another
0: partner, I can't get another brother or sister, I can't get another child, so. In my head, I've already played out like future husbands, and I say husbands plural <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, that they're gonna they're gonna go yeah, yeah. and and you know, I'll I'll grieve for a little while, but I can find another one. Well, that's interesting, yeah, yeah. I've never really understood how you know and I know that people are deeply entrenched into their relationships with their partners, but I'm just like, I can get another, you know? Well, they're different relationships,
1: aren't they? And they're all yeah, they are. They are. And I, and I do jest, obviously, about that. But I mean, some people are estranged from their brothers and sisters, or you know what I mean?
0: So I'm going to talk about the third grief that was, you know, obviously very big, pivotal to you, which was your mother back in 2013. And I know that you said that that happened alongside a huge project in that. Could you t- tell us
1: about that, please? There's a sort of St George's Hospital. You know, there had an arts officer called Sarah Weatherall, who has now become a really good friend, you know, who was really passionate about bringing, like she had this initiative of having people coming to the bedside singers, so actors coming and singing requests for people. And so she also had this annual arts event and she got in touch with Tamasha and said, would you like to do something? And you know, because since my brother died, I was very conscious of Asian men and their hearts. And I sort of said I work a lot from verbatim that I would write something called Golden Hearts, and I would collect stories. And so I would sit in the waiting rooms of cardiology in St George's and talk to people and you know record their stories. But at the same time, my mother, who had a massive heart attack when she was in the mid 50s, then as her heart was failing, was failing. And we didn't know, but those were the final weeks of her life. So she was coming in and out of St. George's as well. And then she died on May the 25th. And I had to do this event on like June the 16th or 17th and make a decision about do I, you know, what do I do? Do I pull out? And I just found myself after that disastrous funeral, you know, (laughs) um, sitting in under the quilt and just writing this thing called Golden Hearts, which was a combination of the stories I'd collected the kind of fictionalized story of my brother and my niece looking for her father's hug because that's what Jaya used to say, I'm looking for his hug, you know. She couldn't find his hug, yeah. and But then my mother became a character, you know. So Raj Rani, which is my mother's name. And, you know, part of it was completely from us being in hospital with my mother and the bedside singers coming and trying to say to her, what request have you got, And you know. So I wrote this thing, I mean, which has always been various versions of a scratch performance. I often do this. You know, my unfinished work <laughs> sits out there. So Golden Hearts was performed in the hospital, and then somebody from the British Heart Foundation came and said, you know, we'd love to do this. So I did it again at the British Heart Foundation event, and then I became an artist in residence. There, I realized that there is this huge genetic study happening, which is called East London Genes and Health. Because we are underrepresented in studies. So therefore, how can we be looked at in a bespoke way?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. There's a, there's the sort of reality of Hindu tradition where, you know, you're reborn. And I know we talked about this before. But in a way, your mother kind of lived on in that work that was simultaneously happening whilst, you know, she was passing away. And it's quite poetic that kind of her spirit is in that work that you created which is obviously going to go on to help others to understand there's a beautiful symmetry there You have an interfaith relationship, which I always think is the way forward for world peace. Yes, I do agree. So your husband's Muslim and you obviously are Hindu. So how does that work?
1: As I said, as a family, we've probably experienced more than many families in terms of direct bereavements, you know. So, I mean, you know, my children have been old enough to experience the funerals of my husband's siblings, including my husband's twin sister, you know. So we, it has prompted a lot of discussion. My husband is a believer, even though he doesn't pray five times a day. He does he's a diabetic, so he's never kept Ramadan. But he goes to the mosque twice a year, takes the boys with him. You know, so it's not something that is a daily thing. But he's, my kids have often said that you know they found the Muslim funeral quite impersonal. But actually, my husband is adamant that that's how he wants his funeral, because he actually sees. For him, it's to be an anonymous part of a bigger, you know, it's it's bigger than an individual person. So that is what we will honour, you know. And I do, I think it is quite moving when you go to the mosque and it isn't just immediate people. Like people rally round, they all pray. There's that idea of multiplying of good wishes, especially if you believe in, you know, the, the person gaining a place in the afterlife, and you know. So I do find that quite moving and people will come to the graveyard and the men will just come and, you know, help to kind of put earth into the where the coffin is and the prayers are quite powerful, I think.
0: It is a very interesting perspective because obviously I've considered my own, you know, death, uh, like, you know, I'm, I'm Muslim, that is my identity, but it's not the faith that I practice. I'm more spiritual and I kind of think, like, when I go, kind of, I don't know what I want, so I'm going to leave it to my family because not yourselves out. I'm gone. I don't really know any different. It's something that really does bother me because the fact I think I'm on that cusp of do I have a faith or don't know I have a faith. But I just think if I go, I'll just let somebody else make the decision. It's too complicated to make it in life.
1: <laughs> what I have said to my family, which is a decision I've made, which is that I don't want a Hindu funeral. You don't? No. And for the main reason that I've seen too many clunky pundits like not even you know the pundit that did my brother's funeral didn't even get his name right you know oh that's bad you know we are here to mourn and they get the wrong name you know I love the clunky pundit
0: <laughs> clunky pundits is a great it's
1: there's a great too many phrase. clunky pundits <laughs> <laughs> um but I do you know what I don't like and this is the essence of Hinduism is that the pundit will declare that already this deceased has has been reborn in another family you know. And I haven't found comfort in that. But I do, I find the singing of bhajans and the singing of hymns, and, you know, I find a lot of solace in ritual. So I've just said to my kids that, you know, have a kind of humanist ceremony, and then you can go and do something nice in terms of the ashes going into the river by the sea. You know, I love the sea.
0: You don't, you would do want to be cremated then? You've made that decision. Yes, I do want to. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but I would never want to be buried. That was not. That, I think that is something I've taken from being brought up as a Hindu. The idea that your soul is released into the oneness of a, a, an expanse of, you know, the universal spirit or whatever, I don't know. You know, like you, I think I'm, I'm not a complete atheist, but I can't designate myself into being a Hindu, you know.
0: Yeah,
1: agnostic,
0: sitting on that faith fence. I mean, obviously, as a playwright and actor, you've, you, you know, have you played a death for someone who's been bereaved? And how did you prepare
1: for that? A recent experience was a, a film called Into Dust, Into Dust, which is a true story of a Pakistani activist called Praveen Rahman, who was murdered because she tried to expose the large-scale theft of water in Karachi. And the filmmaker Orlando von Isendel, probably not saying his name right. In fact, he'd done a beautiful film about his brother's suicide called Evelyn. And he was drawn to this story. And I was playing the older sister, Akila, which is a real person, you know. And we had to film the moment when Praveen's body is brought and I come and I see it, you know. And I was really, really concerned because I just like, I did say to Orlando, I struggled to cry, you know, and... But what we found in common is that Orlando, myself, and Aquila, who I was playing, so we had all lost a younger sibling in like what's the word sudden death, you know, so Orlando's brother had committed suicide, Aquila obviously her sister was shot dead by the mafia, and my brother had just you know dropped, so I found that took me through the filming, you know I just allowed my Intense grief about losing a younger sibling to kind of guide how I did that scene. You know,
0: are you proud of that work at the end?
1: I'm very proud of like sharing those stories of yeah, yeah, people who are extraordinary and who were taken too young. You know, um, so the scene. I mean, when we did it, I did find myself actually absolutely in tears.
0: Yeah. And
1: the funny thing was that when they went to choosing the take for the final thing, or I had to go into the um. ADR dubbing studio to redo some of it because they hadn't the sound quality in in India where we filmed hadn't captured it to a high enough level, you know. And that redoing of it, I found really hard. Yeah.
0: Now I'm 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 sort of hearing repeatedly how how all of those you think that have you know you you were numb, but it's all kind of come out little bits and drabs into your work, into your performances. Can you give someone who is going through a bereavement right now any advice? I
1: think it's literally like to take each day at a, at a time to not feel like you're doing it wrong or that you should be getting up and getting on with stuff. Talk to people. I found reading really helpful, you know, reading about death and how other people write about it. I found I do yoga I found yoga, like I I went to my yoga even before my brother's funeral and people would be like, oh, why are you here? You know, you shouldn't be here. But even the ritual of trying to do a little bit of like just being in the moment through that breath of doing yoga. But just, you know, it's not going to pass immediately. So don't expect for it to, or even ever. I mean, I don't feel as though I'm oh, now I'm over all the deaths, you know. It's just a part of you. Yeah, that's
0: sound advice. And also that they're, you know, it's at your own pace. Everyone's individual. Everyone's got a different pace, different rhythm.
1: Yeah, and don't be guilty about enjoying moments in your life, however early you, Mm. you know, we lost a close friend recently and his wife was saying that, you know, because she's baked a cake when people come for tea and, people are like oh my god she's her, she just lost her husband why is she baking and doing finger sandwiches for us we, we've come to give our condolences you know whereas for her that's that's what she did and that's what she does you know hmm. Hmm. i can relate
0: to that i was stuffing some galore it was just that like really therapeutic <laughs> when my yeah. dad died i just i found it yeah. helpful think we're going to be arriving in my my departure lounge as I like to call it
1: (laughs) your departure lounge yeah
0: all right so last call so we're going to have a little you know three questions that we're going to ask you that's going to be a bit more fun I guess a little bit more lighter um so last call in my departure lounge how would you
1: spend your last week on earth if I knew it was my last week on earth yeah yeah Yeah. what i one of my obsessions is that my house is an absolute mess I've got so much paraphernalia from like you know things that I don't want my kids to have to sort out. So I'm hoping that I've Marie Kondoed my house already. <laughs> so my last week, <laughs> otherwise I'd be spending my last week decluttering <laughs> and saying, I don't wish my kids to deal with this. Um, I'd love to be by the sea somewhere, you know, just, just with family, drinking champagne, enjoying the sunshine, warm water, family, friends. Oh, that's great. Nothing, <laughs> nothing huge, yeah.
0: So clean your house, Marie Kondo your house, and then
1: well marie condo my house is done that's done the last okay, week, just that final
0: touches and then on to a picnic in the on the beach that's beautiful
1: a long picnic yeah
0: leading on to what's your fantasy funeral if anything you could have what
1: would you have i just want a simple humanist ceremony but one of the things one of the funny things i do find myself talking about is when i was in eastenders and you know you got a diff diff moment when you exited and you knew it was the final exit of the show. So I was driving my BMW and then it went diff, diff you know. So even though I didn't stay in that show for long, doof, yeah, doof, doof. I do tell my friends that they've got to find that moment for my funeral. So then, then um, you know, when, when we've had a lovely humanist ceremony, my goddaughter, as I call her, um, Shaheen Khan, the actor, her daughter, she's going to sing "Morning Has Broken at my funeral. I've left that her with that. And then we're going to have my... Doof doof moment when my coffin goes into the bonfire and the East Enders. And then footing. it's just like doof yeah. doof doof. Yeah, and then people can drink lots of you know champagne. I sound like I drink champagne all the time. I only drink it on special occasions when I can afford you know a nice bottle. But I'm hoping that you're very showbiz suited. Very showbiz <laughs> people can drink and share memories.
0: I'll leave a fund. Yeah, do you want to fight like an East Enders fight? Because there's always a fight, like some Peggy Mitchell moment, and uh, before the doof duff doofs.
1: No, no, I don't need. I don't need any fighting. No but and then I would say to people that on my birthday, you know, my family they have to go, they have to leave their phones, and they should go somewhere by the. So my ashes have to be, you know, you have to go to an ocean somewhere nice. I do like the Hindu thing of you know the 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 diyas and the rose petals. Yes. So as my ashes are going, it would be quite nice to have some floating candles and some rose petals. Some
0: little accessories. Before we
1: break open the champagne. Yeah. To make your ashes look prettier on the on the, on the river. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just sort of say goodbye. Yeah. So
0: what three words or a short phrase saying would you like on your gravestone? And I know that you don't have a gravestone, but let's put it in more urn or, or the last things that you're remembered by.
1: I, I realise when you asked me that, that the words that I often use is I'm still here. And I use them more in my daily life, you know, us in the arts, mm. you get all these knocks, you don't get this audition, you don't get this, this is really hard, only ten people came to see this, and then I'll sort of go, Well, you know, at least I you know I'm still here. I'm still here. Mm. So I guess that seems to be the appropriate three words. I'm still here, you know.
0: Maybe maybe we see those three words and then the duff doof duffs happen i'm still you here you could do
1: yeah and then doof, doof, doof. you can turn up at my funeral <laughs> can, and, and, and do a number doof, doof, doof. on my yeah <laughs> she's still oh. here
0: <laughs> thank you yeah. so much Sudha. we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today and sharing so generously thank you for asking me and uh, please do check out the work that sudha has been mentioning like name dropping all the way through but thank you for joining us today Sudha.
1: pleasure thank you Sajila.
0: If you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed today, then please do visit our website at stchristophers.org.uk, where you'll find resources and support on a whole range of issues. Thanks for joining us here on the Dead Good Podcast, brought to you by St Christopher's Hospice. I've been Sajila Gila Until next time, farewell.